We started a series last week that I'm calling Jesus On. And what the intention of this series is, is to look from the perspective of Jesus and what he has to say on some of these different topics. Because I think what happens so many times when it comes to these topics is that we get this idea in our head or we draw conclusions on something and we don't always go straight to what Jesus has to say on some of these topics. And so last week, what we looked at was this whole perspective that Jesus had on religion. And so many times it seemed like that when Jesus was talking about religion, he was totally against religion because what he came to do was implement a relationship and it's not about a religion. Because what happens in religion and what we do so many times in religion is that we base it off of our performance or what we do and what a relationship that he tried to implement is all about is what he did, not what we did. And so he wanted to make it clear that it's not about what you do, but it's about what he did. It's about the relationship, not about the religion. Because when you look on the outside perspective, a lot of times when we see something like religion, we draw the conclusion that it's like, oh, Jesus is for religion. Now, when you look at the idea of Christianity as a religion, I think Jesus is in support of that. But religion in and of itself, I don't believe Jesus is for, based on his perspective. And so what we wanted to do through this series is look at a bunch of different topics and see what does Jesus have to say about these. And so this week, what we're going to look at is Jesus on sin. What does Jesus have to say on sin? What is his perspective on sin? And so as we get there, because I feel like a lot of us, we can look at a topic like sin and we so easily look at it and we don't always see the effects and the damages that it has long term and so we see sin and we're like well we know we're probably not supposed to do this but it's probably not a big deal and we don't think of the effects that it can have and jesus has a lot to say on that and so i was thinking about this uh, my dog a while ago you know he's a husky and and he has a very sensitive stomach when i when i bought them they told us you know huskies have very sensitive stomachs and so they're supposed to eat grain free you're not supposed to give them a bunch of table scraps you're supposed to be kind of strict with their diet and so i was like okay you know so i get him the grain free food i try not to feed him very much and so i was like i can do this that's not a big deal and so what my parents used to do all the time is when they would get a roast they would you know cut all the roast off they get everything ready um, and we'd eat it, but then what they would do is they would save the bones from the roast um, and boil them so that their dogs can chew on them. And so one of these times they got a roast and, and they boiled some of the bones and they're like, here, why don't you take a couple for your dog? And I'm like, okay, you know, I'll do that. And so um, I put it in the freezer for a while because I'm like, I'm not going to give it to him right away. And so I put them in there to keep them for when there was a day that he could have one. And so then there was one day I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to give him one. And I mean, he tore this thing up. He wanted everything about this. He, he got the bone. It was like, you got even close. He started growling or he grabbed the bone and he would run so that you couldn't get it. I mean, he protected this thing and he devoured this thing. Like, I don't even know where the bone went. I think he like took pieces of it off and he was swallowing it and who knows what he was doing, but he loved this roast bone. It was amazing to him. And so later that night after he had had this, Um, like I said, as him having a sensitive stomach, I was like, oh, this bone's not going to be a big deal um, because there's not like anything on it. It's just a bone. 
And so I had some people come over uh, later that night. I had about four or five guys come over to hang out. I was still living in this house right here by the church. And so they came over and my dog all of a sudden, you know, goes over right in front of my door was, you know, it was uh, hardwood through most of my house. And so it, that was kind of nice in some respects. And so he goes over right by the front door. And just as he gets in front of the front door, he turns his head, locks his eyes with one of my friends, squats down, and it was basically water that just came out. I mean, it was diarrhea everywhere, and then it just unloaded. It was like all across my floor. You know, my buddy's just like, oh my goodness, this is so disgusting. One of my other buddies is running out of the house gagging because it smells so bad. And you would just think like, you know, at least have some decency to like go down the hall or go in one of the rooms where you can't even see and that maybe I'll find it later. But no, right in the middle of the room, locks eyes with us like, I don't care, I have to go and just diarrhea everywhere. And I don't think I would have ever thought this was going to happen when I first gave him this bone because I thought, you know, this isn't a big deal. It's just a bone. There's no way that this could have any effect on him. He's just going to enjoy it and it'll all be good. But little did I know that just by giving him one thing, this bone was going to have a major effect on him hours later. And I think oftentimes when it comes to sin, we don't always think in the long term, like what could this do to me in the future or what could the effect be on me and those around me if I choose to dive in on sin? Because I don't think we have to go very far to understand that Jesus is against sin. I mean, the whole intention back in Genesis chapter 3 was that Jesus created Adam and Eve to have this union, this relationship where they were so connected. In the Garden of Eden. We're talking about a place that was just magical. Bliss. That's what Eden was. There was no sin. There was no separation between them and God. And then God gave them one thing. That they weren't allowed to do. He said you can have from any tree in this garden. You can eat whatever you want. Except this one tree. The knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from this. Or you will surely die. And it seemed like from that moment, they didn't think too much of it. But probably in the back of their mind, they go, what is God holding out on me for? It seems so many times, and I think why we're so attracted to sin, not only from our sinful nature, but the things that we cannot have seem to be the things that attract us the most. And so Satan comes along as they're already thinking about this in the back of their head, and they go... Why can't you eat from this tree? This could be something good. This could be something that you could have. Why don't you go after it? And so they did, and they took a bite. And from that moment on, the sin entered into our world. And now there was this separation, and God was on a mission from that moment on to bring back his son, so that he would die on a cross and pay the price for our sins so that there could be reconciliation and sin would no longer separate us, but that we could now enter back into a relationship with him and be forgiven for the sins that we had committed. Jesus didn't want sin to ever enter the picture, but he also didn't want robots to worship him, so he gave them the choice, and they chose sin. And it seems like so often in our own lives, we choose sin over Jesus. 
And there's so many different passages in which Jesus talks about sin. Jesus talks about the effects of sin. Jesus talks about his heart on sin. And so I don't have all the time to look at all of these different passages, but I just want you to see in one passage what Jesus has on his perspective on sin. Jesus is the only thing that can give us utter satisfaction eternally. Sin gives us a temporary satisfaction. And when sin enters along, there's this temptation that we feel like we need to satisfy. And so what looks like something that will satisfy that temptation, sin, we choose to go for because it looks like that's going to satisfy. But in the end, it leaves us empty. I think if this were around and Jesus wanted to talk about this, he would use this kind of has an illustration. I see sin a lot of times like cotton candy. When you're so hungry and you need something to eat, the one thing you're not going to probably do is go and eat a bunch of cotton candy. Why? Because it's just a bunch of sugar. If you're starving, what you need is nutrients and sustenance, some meat, something, some vegetables, that kind of a thing you need to satisfy your hunger. We don't reach for cotton candy because it'll just leave us sick and disgusting afterwards yet so many times just like we can do to candy when we get hungry we have something sweet that we think is going to satisfy our hunger but yet leaves us sick in the end when we have a pleasure or a temptation or an appetite that we need satisfied that only jesus can he's the sustenance he's the nutrients we reach for the cotton candy hoping that it will satisfy And so I want to unpack in this passage in Luke chapter 15 that sin doesn't satisfy like Jesus. Jesus wants us to see that he's the only satisfaction and that no matter how many times we try to reach for sin, it will never satisfy us like Jesus does. And so before we get into this, I want to look at Luke chapter 4. This is a passage pulled out of Isaiah that I think is incredible because you have to understand the purpose here before we dive into this story. But it says here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking. For he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the downtrodden will be free from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord has come. Some versions say, and I, I like the way it's phrased in some other versions, I've come to bind the brokenhearted, heal the wounded, set the captives free. What sin does to us is not give us freedom, yet it binds us and bonds us to things that we don't want to be bonded to. And we're caught in this prison, so to speak, where we're held captive, not with freedom. And so even though we think that that sin is going to give us freedom, it's like we're set in a jail cell and that we're surrounded and we think we have freedom, yet these four walls and bars keep us bounded in and we can't have freedom. Jesus says, I've come. I'm the key to unlock the door. You don't have to be in the prison anymore. You can be set free. That was his purpose in coming. That's why he came, to give us freedom. Yet some of us don't even know we're in a prison. Some of us don't even know we're held captive. We just think this is how life is. 
Jesus says, I can let you go. I can give you freedom. Yet, it's as if we're living in insanity. There was somebody that used to define insanity, and I think this is a lot of times how we live our lives, as doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I think so many times we look at sin and we do it over and over again, hoping that we get a different result, that just maybe this time it will satisfy. And Jesus says, you don't have to keep running this cycle. I love you more than anything, and I've come to set you free. You don't have to live in captivity anymore. I'm pleading with you guys. We don't need to choose sin over Jesus. And it's not me just saying it as a person in ministry. But I'm telling you, the only satisfaction in your lives that will give you eternal satisfaction, that will not leave you thirsty anymore, is Jesus. Sin is not the answer. Jesus is. And he says, my purpose is to come set you free. And so later on in Luke, Jesus comes to, in Luke chapter 15, these three parables that, that are often called, um, what, what I think in my head, I, I don't want to say they're often called, are the lost parables. And what I mean by this is Jesus tells three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I think what's very interesting, if you look at Luke chapter 15, who is listening to these parables that Jesus is talking about? So as we hone in on a little bit of what is Jesus's view on sin, he begins to tell these three parables. But look who's surrounding Jesus. Tax collectors in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. You know why I think this is very interesting is because it's not the religious people, it's not the Pharisees and Sadducees that often came to listen to Jesus teach. No, no, no. They thought they had their lives in order. You know who's surrounding Jesus? The people that are choosing sin and they're not being satisfied. And they go, there's something about this guy that I think he's on to something and I need to listen to him. And then he tells these three parables. The lost sheep, the shepherd has 99, he starts counting 97, 90, or 100 sheep. He starts counting 96, 97, 98, 99, and he says, I'm missing one. I don't have the 100 sheep. So instead uh, of the logical way of thinking is that I'll stay with the 99 because who cares if I just lose one? It's better than losing 99 others. No, 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 no. He goes and he finds the sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he celebrates. Similar vibe happens in the parable of the lost coin. This girl has 10 coins. She counts nine of them, seven, eight, nine. She goes, where's the 10th one? Instead of just being okay with having nine coins instead of 10, she flips her entire house upside down just to find one coin. And once she finds it, she calls everybody around her for a celebration for one coin. And then he comes to the lost son where I want to focus these last few moments. But I think what's very interesting as we begin to dive into this one, it's the same vibe as the first two of them. One thing you need to understand in Jesus' view on sin is that you're never too far gone for Jesus to come find you. 
No matter what sin you've committed, no matter what path you've gone down, no matter where you're at, you are never too far gone for Jesus to get you. And Jesus will always come for you. Jesus will always go looking for you. Just like the shepherd. Just like the woman. But he begins in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. I love this story so much. Um, I think because it rings so true to my own life. But it says to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So I want to stop here just for a second because it's very important to understand this. Because to understand the significance of what this son's request is. All of us probably understand what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something that we get once somebody passes away. So like when my parents pass away, there will be some type of probably inheritance that they will leave to each of their kids that we will receive once they have died. The whole point of an inheritance is a gift that is left when somebody passes on. What this son is doing is asking for his inheritance while his father is still alive. So what this son is actually doing is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because what I normally get when you're dead, I want now. This son is being pretty rude if we're going to be honest. This son's looking at his father who has loved him, raised him, and probably given him everything and basically says, I wish you were dead. You see, what I think Jesus wants us to see when it comes to sin is that when you're in sin, all you care about is yourself. You don't care about anything else. I've seen this happen so many times, whether it comes to drugs or alcohol. One of my favorite movies of all time, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's called Beautiful Boy. And uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, I can't ever say his name right, um, star in this. And I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen of Steve Carell being in a serious role instead of one of his jokey funny roles and what this journey is is this journey is steve carell the dad and timothy as the son based off of a book um called tweak that i also have of the son's journey with methamphetamines and it's incredible to watch as this dad just loves on his son, even though his son continually chooses drugs over his family. And he, no matter how many times he, he, he goes after these drugs, he doesn't seem to have enough money. He doesn't seem to have enough things to be able to get the drugs. And so all he's thinking about is that I have a sensation, a temptation, a pleasure, an appetite that I have to satisfy. And so I only care about that. And I only care about myself. And so I'm going to steal money from his from my brother and sisters which he does he steals money from his parents he does all of these things just to get his appetite satisfied and he's not thinking about the effect that it's going to have on other people he only thinks about what it's going to do for him and that's what the son does he looks at his father and says, I wish you were dead. He's not thinking about the implication that this is going to have on their relationship as father and son. He's not thinking about the implication that this is going to have on him and his brother, who is also going to get some of this inheritance once his father dies. He says, I want it now because he has an appetite he wants satisfied. And he's only thinking about himself. 
And we don't get much more of the story. Jesus doesn't elaborate very much on the discussion that maybe the father had that just maybe he looks at his son and goes, son, man, you don't understand what you're doing. You're only thinking one right one way right now. I need you to wake up. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't elaborate on this. The son says this, and then he continues on a few days later, this younger son, after he agreed to divide his wealth. So the father divides the wealth. This son looks at him says, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And so the father gives it to him. And then the son continues on. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings, took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on wild living. Again, he's only thinking about himself. When you're in sin, all you care about is you. And so he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to take my part of the inheritance and I'm going to invest some of it. I'm going to put, open up a savings account and put it in there. I'm going to maybe invest in some properties so that I can get a return on my investment. No, 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 no. This isn't what the son does. He has an appetite, a pleasure that he wants to fulfill. And so he takes his inheritance and goes and spends it on wild living. Translation, the son takes his money and starts going to nightclubs, hiring prostitutes, doing drugs, drinking alcohol, and partying all the time. He wants to live his life. And he starts drifting. One thing you also need to realize that Jesus has a view on sin is that when you're in sin... You begin to drift from the relationships that love you the most. He starts spending all his money on the pleasures that he wants to indulge in. And not once does he say, man, I wonder what my father's doing right now. I wonder how my father's doing now. I wonder how my brother is. Maybe I should send him a DM. Maybe I should text him, FaceTime him. Who cares? Maybe just even send him a Snapchat so he knows that I'm okay. Yet that's not what the son is thinking about. And most importantly, he's probably not thinking about his relationship with God. He only cares about his wild living. He only cares about where the next party's at, where the next drug's going to be at, when he's going to get drunk just one more time. Who's the next beautiful girl that I'm going to be able to be with? Sin puts these blinders on you to where you're only self-centered and then you begin to drift from the relationships that are probably actually going to help you the most and you leave those relationships behind. So those that love you the most have to stand by and watch you suffer. Do you know how much it hurts the father? to watch you drift and try to fulfill your desires when he just looks at you and he says, I love you. Why are you doing this to yourself? This isn't going to satisfy. But we don't listen. And we drift from the relationships that mean the most to us. It seems that Jesus really wants us to see that sin doesn't satisfy. It destroys us. Continues on in verse 14, just a couple more verses. It says, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded 
persuaded a local farmer farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I think the last thing you need to understand, the last thing you need to understand as Jesus has his view on sin is that sin will not only leave you unsatisfied, it's going to leave you with nothing. You look around, the father's not there, the son's not there. What even is more shocking to me is the people that he was partying with aren't even there next to him. He's hit rock bottom. Sin's not going to lead you up a hill to climb that's going to get you to Jesus. It's going to make you roll down the hill till you're in the valley and there's no one left around you. That you come to a point in the bottomless pit of sin that you begin to think about things that you want to do that are unimaginable. This son is so low in sin. He's so far gone in sin that he looks at a bunch of garbage that they're feeding the pigs and says, that looks good. Because he just wants freedom. He just wants to feel good. And he's done everything he can to fulfill those desires and they're still not fulfilled. Sin will leave you empty, all alone, and by yourself. Because all you thought about in sin was yourself. You pushed away all the relationships that were so good to you. And you thought you would satisfy your desires, yet you didn't. And now you're beginning to think about any way to satisfy them, even in ways you would have never thought in your entire life because you're so far gone in your own little world. I hate to say it, but I know from my own experience that sometimes in order for you to just come to know Jesus and the love that he has for you, you have to hit rock bottom. And that's what happened to the son. Sometimes we have so big of appetites that we want satisfied that even though we may know Jesus will or we've heard that Jesus will, we can't believe that's true. And so we begin to go from sin to sin to different sin or continuing to do the sin over and over, just expecting a different result this time. And yet we hit rock bottom and we have nowhere to go. And so the son decides at this moment that the only place he has to go is to the father. So he gets up and he says, man, my dad's servants even are better off than this. He goes home as he's about to rehearse his speech to tell his dad, you don't even have to take me as a son, but please just let me work for you. And when he was a long way off, I love verse 20. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long distance away. His father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You need to understand in this culture, men did not run, especially old men did not run. And logically, why would he run to the one person that looked at him and said, I wish you were dead? 
But I always tell this to people when they're reading the Bible, you have to look at the words that are being used and look what it says. So when he returned home to his father and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Me reading this leads me to believe that the father didn't just happen to look out the window, but the father was waiting for his son to come home. Day after day, he may have sat in front of that window, just hoping this might be the day that my son wakes up from his sin and comes home. And that day had to be an amazing day when his father sees a long way off. I think that's my son. I think he's come home. And he runs out to him full of love and compassion and embraces him. Another picture, as I mentioned before, you are never too far gone for the father to come running to you. This son did so much in his sin. And the father at the end of the day still says, I don't care what you did. I'm just so glad you're home. Because the son starts to rehearse his speech and his father cuts him off and says, don't worry about it. Let's celebrate. I think Jesus also wants us to know when it comes to sin that he doesn't care about what sin you've committed or the sins that you're currently in. He just cares if you have a heart to seek him. Because the son finally broke at rock bottom and understood the pain that he caused not only him but the people around him and that he thought he could satisfy his desires with sin. And all he knew to do was to go back to the Father and repent. So often it seems like we're so concerned about the sin people are in and getting that fixed before we get them to Jesus. But it seems that as Jesus is talking about sin, he wants them to get to Jesus and then we'll work on the sin. Because once you transform on the inside, you will begin to transform on the outside, not vice versa. Sin will destroy us. But you're never too far gone to meet the Father. Sin leaves you only thinking about yourself, hurting the people around you, pushing those relationships away, and eventually leading you to a bottom of the pit to where you have nowhere to turn, hoping, just hoping, you will find something to satisfy these desires in ways you never would have imagined you would have thought of. I hope you understand that Jesus doesn't want you to feel bad about your sin. But I think Jesus wants you to understand that it hurts him to see you choose a life that you think will satisfy when he stands there saying, I can give that to you. I can give you satisfaction. Jesus hates sin, but he loves people. And he's always willing to forgive, always willing to come running to you, even in the midst of your sin. 
And so I close with this story. There's an amazing book out there called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. I've not read the whole book, but he tells this story in there, and I think it's incredible. Another picture of showing what sin can do and how the Father can satisfy. There was a girl, she grew up in a place called Traverse City, Michigan. It wasn't far from Detroit, um, but she grew up there on an orchard her parents owned, and she had everything. Her parents weren't extremely rich, but but she had everything at her disposal. Her parents loved on her. They showed her compassion. She grew up in church. She had friends. She had money. She had all that she could ever imagine in, in your life. Her life seemed so put together. She was involved in church. She seemed like she had a growing relationship with the father. But then there became this phase where she started to question the beliefs that she had grown up with and really decide, am I going to make this my own? And as she began to think more and more about this, she, she decided that I feel like my parents are just trying to shove things down my throat to make me be the daughter that they want me to be and not necessarily the way that I want to be. And so she decides in that moment that I'm leaving. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to go find life on my own, away from my parents, away from this place, because I'm tired of Jesus being shoved down my throat. And so she packs her bags and in the middle of the night, she catches a train down to Detroit. This is where I'm going to start my life. This is where things are really going to take off. And so she arrives in Detroit and she only knows a little bit about it because she had gone there a couple times with her youth group to watch a Detroit Lions or Detroit Tigers game. And so she doesn't know a whole lot about Detroit, but she arrives in Detroit and she's kind of just trying to find a place for her to fit in. And she comes across this guy that seems to have a lot of money and he's really nice to her. He comes up to her and starts talking to her. And she doesn't realize this at the moment, um, but what this guy is, is a pimp. His job is to go and recruit beautiful women to sell themselves for money. And he doesn't want to frame it like this because he knows if I go at it like this, I'm not going to get the women. And so the way that he kind of frames this is he looks at her and he says, you know, you look like you, you're kind of new around here. And she says, yeah, I just came into town. I don't really have a whole lot going for me right now. And I'm just trying to find my way. And he realizes this is my opportunity. And so he says, you, you want to know something? If you just come work for me, if you just come be a part of my crew, I promise you anything you need, I will take care of. You need a place to stay? I'll give you a place to stay. You want to buy new clothes? I'll buy you new clothes. You need money? I'll give you money. She starts to go, wow, this seems like a pretty cool gig. And so she realizes as she begins to get involved with this guy what um, she's supposed to do. And she's supposed to hire herself to men who will use her, abuse her, and sleep with her. And she runs on this lifestyle for a while and hoping that it will satisfy. And years go by and, and she realizes this isn't the life for me. And she decides to leave this guy, the pimp, and leave his business and and all of a sudden she goes from having everything at her disposal to having nothing. She runs into the grocery store to get herself some milk. And as she pulls out the milk carton, she looks on the back of it. And there's pictures they put on the back of these milk cartons. Have you seen this child? And there, as she pulls this milk carton, staring right at this picture is a picture of her. She can't even recognize it anymore because she doesn't even look like that. 
she gets scared and throws the milk container back in the the cooler and runs out of the the grocery store and nighttime falls and she finds herself in a park with nothing she has a cold her health's kind of declining she's a mess she can't hold herself together she's using newspapers to cover her body just so that she can somewhat stay warm she realizes that this can't be the way that life is and i just hope maybe life could be better and she thinks about her parents and she says well maybe just maybe i could go back and work on my parents orchard so she decides the next morning she's going to make her way back to traverse city and as she's getting ready to get on the bus she tries to give a phone call home she decides if my parents um, answer <clears throat> And they're at the train station, then I'll get off and I'll try to apologize and see if they'll hire me back on at their orchard. She rings home, but nobody answers. And so she hops on the bus and she keeps saying on the way there, if they're there, I'll try. But if they're not, I'm just going to keep riding this bus until it runs out. And so as she gets closer, she starts to rehearse her speech, starts to figure out what can I do to just get my parents to give me a place to sleep because life is terrible. And she, they give a call to Traverse City. And she grabs the small bag that she has with her of her belongings and she gets off and she starts panning and she said, I just, she's thinking in her head, I knew it. I knew they wouldn't show. I knew they wouldn't be here. And as she looks further off to the right, she sees this big banner that says welcome home and this big crew of people that are celebrating and out of the crowd comes her parents and she's so overcome with emotion and she tries to begin to talk and they just say no no, no. we're just so glad you're home sin will do a number on us and Jesus wants us so bad to stay away from sin. It'll do things to us we never thought we'd ever do in our entire lives. But I'm here to tell you, just like Jesus tried to tell us in the prodigal son, that no matter what sins you've committed, no, how, no matter how far gone you think you are, Jesus is always willing to run to you. You're never too far gone for Jesus. Sin doesn't satisfy like Jesus.